Go to your Bible. Go to your uh, iPad or phone, whatever it is that you have the Bible available for you on. And go to the book of Hebrews in the sixth chapter. Would you do that? We'll be reading from the uh, beginning at the 13th verse and uh, finish that chapter down, the 6th chapter. So uh, follow along with us. (coughs) Now I'm going to have some, I'm going to have some coffee in this morning. I'm sorry about it already. Uh, Some clearing of my throat. But I will not um, allow the enemy to get the victory here. So, so we're just going to go ahead and preach the best we can in the name of the Lord. So uh, read with me, beginning in the book of Hebrews, the 6th chapter and the 13th verse. For God, having made promise to Abraham, listen to this right here. Since he had no greater to swear by, he swore by himself saying, surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, being long-suffering, he obtained the promise. That was Abraham. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath to make things sure is to them the end of all gainsaying. In which way, desiring to more fully declare to the heirs of the promise, that would be you and I, the unchangeableness of his counsel, God imposed by an oath that through two unchangeable things in which it is not possible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, those having led to lay hold on the hope set before us, which we have as an anchor to our soul. I like that um, rendering right there. We have as an anchor to our soul, both certain and sure, and entering into, uh, into the inner side or the, the, inner, the inner part of the veil where Jesus entered as forerunner for us having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Lord, we just come before you with your word. Your word is right and so precious. We don't have the right to change it. We don't have the right this morning to declare anything but how it was given because all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable. If I have something this morning, it may not be profitable to the people. But if you have something, a word, it is profitable. And so we ask you that this morning, Lord, that your presence in your word would just be felt. Lord, that you would just anoint your word as it goes out and speak a little something to us this morning. Encourage us in the way of the Lord, we pray. In your name, Jesus, everyone said amen. Amen. And amen. I want to talk about for a little while this morning, God took an oath. God took an oath. When God takes an oath, pretty powerful thing. God swore out an oath. In the New Testament, the word swear, it just solemn, it just means to take an oath or a solemn promise. That's the word swear. And you'll see the word, it's, it's in a few spots in the New Testament, and many times in the Old Testament, because it was a custom. And they would swear out an oath. And when I was a young man, and still maybe in some places, they used to say this, a man is only as good as his word. How how many have heard that saying? A man is only as good as his word. 
Well, I'd like to say this morning that God is only as good as his word. But men used to swear out an oath and not exactly using those terms, but they would, they would state a thing and, and swear a thing and, and swear a promise out and you pretty much could believe it. That person, they did what they said. Uh, one of the deteriorations of, of our government and places of our government is that men have been elected saying things and not done them. They've sworn out oaths and they didn't carry them through. You may not like the uh, previous administration who said they would, they swore that they would take care of this and that and the other and, and they did. You may not like the man, but, but he swore on an oath and, and he did what he said that he would do. Many years ago, and I'm not sure now, I haven't been to court myself in a long time, but, but they used to put a witness on the stand and before he took the stand, he would take an oath. They would bring a Bible out. He would put his hand on the Bible, and then he would repeat these words that said, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And that was the oath that they took, and under that oath, then they would be examined, and it was a crime for them to uh, lie under oath. And even now, it's still a crime to lie under no, uh, an oath. I don't know if they use the Bible anymore. I think that the Bible and God are irrelevant in the courtroom, and so is the truth. When you leave God and Scripture out, I believe you're leaving the truth behind also. But to lie under oath as a federal crime is punishable by incarceration, jail time, unless you're aiding the Democrat Party. Oh, under the last term, many men were going to jail because they had supposedly lied under oath. Now we see it repeated time and time again and nothing happens to those men because they're aiding the right party. It's still a crime. I don't care who they are. God sees it as a crime to lie under an oath. That's how God sees it. See, swearing an oath used to be the highest order of securing your future action. That You would swear out an oath to that. But that's times gone by and times past. Now, the closest thing we have to that is that you will put up a certain amount of money to prove that you will do certain, certain, certain. And so people so respect their money more than they do their word now that their word means nothing, but their money means something. So now the surety of what a person is going to do is always about money now. You don't go borrow money unless you put up a surety against that. You have to prove, but in the old time, in the old day, they were against their word that what they said mattered. And taking an oath, swearing an oath was, was something big to them. It meant something to them. Now, I want to place Peter on the night of Jesus' betrayal, on the night that they arrested him, and Peter and the disciples were dispersed. It said that John actually literally went in his gospel, went into uh, the courtroom there. He knew some of the high priest people. But Peter it was who sat on the outside warming his hands by the fire. And now they come to him and say to him, I think that we've seen you with Jesus. And Peter begins to deny that and say, no, that's not true. And then later a little uh, damsel, it says, comes and says, no, no, you, uh, we saw you with me, and, and you sound like a Galilean. And Peter is just denying this, and the third time they come to him, the scripture says he began to swear, and it didn't mean that he was using uh, profane language so much as he was swearing out that he did not know this man 
And what he was swearing by, we don't know. But he also, in the book of Mark, it said that he used the anathema. He was swearing, making an oath that he didn't know him. And an anathema, the anathema meant that God was involved in this thing. I say before God, I don't know who the man is. I'm telling you what, Peter was doing everything he could to tread water and spare his life. And at the same time, he doesn't realize he's damning his soul. At the same time, it dawns on him when Jesus looked at him and Peter went out and wept bitterly because of what he had done. But they let him alone because he swore out this oath that he did not know who Jesus was. Now, take you to the Sermon on the Mount in the fifth chapter of Matthew, and Jesus said this. It's amazing to say this to this culture at this time. Do not swear. And again, he wasn't talking about four-letter words and, and, and that kind of swearing. He was talking about swearing out an oath. He said, do not swear by heaven because heaven is God's throne. Do not swear by earth because the earth is God's footstool. Do not swear by Jerusalem because Jerusalem is a city of the great king. Do not swear by yourself. Which is interesting because then he goes on to say, you have no power over yourself. You say a certain thing, but it doesn't mean you can do it. You might swear it out that you can do this or that, but unless God gives you the breath to get up that morning to do it, you're not doing it. In fact, Jesus said, ladies, listen really close on this one. Jesus said, you can't turn a black hair gray or a gray hair black. Well, we have some hairdressers in our congregation, which might do not. Well, let me say this. You might color that hair, but if that hair's gray, it's still gray. It just doesn't look gray. <coughs> but in other words, you don't have the power to swear out an oath and do it. But yet men in that culture, in that system, that society, the Jewish thing was to swear, and they would swear. They would swear by the temple. They would swear. Jesus in another place said that you swear by the temple, and, and that really doesn't mean as much, but if you swear by the gold of the temple, well, now that really means a thing. And I don't know why the gold of the temple was more important than the temple itself, but the whole point is, and Jesus said this, let your words be yes and yes, or no and no. It's interesting that his, his brother, James, in the fifth chapter, in the 12th verse, said the same identical thing when he says, don't swear, but let your word be yes, or let your word be no. Evidently, there was a lot of men who were swearing things out that were not keeping their word. And it had come over into the church, and this is why James would deal with this. Because it had come into the church that people were promising a thing, swearing out an oath, what they would do, and they were not fulfilling that bargain. And so James, the, the brother of the Lord, takes it from the Lord himself and says, quit swearing out oaths and simply answer yes or no. Because you can't sometimes fulfill those things. And and I've thought about that. I've told people I'd do a certain thing, and I didn't get it done. Has anybody ever done that? And I felt bad about that later. There wasn't anything I could do about it later. I told somebody, you know, I'd be there at a certain, certain time, and then, you know, I had that flat tire or something happened, and I couldn't get there. I lied to them. No, you didn't really lie to them. You just couldn't fulfill the oath that you had made. I have at times, and I hate to admit this, but there's been times when I bought things on time and payments and then come to a place where I was out of work and I had agreed, I had sworn out an oath to pay that payment and I couldn't do it. I don't know if anybody else in here looking at me like, Pastor, you're, wow, you're a deadbeat. <laughs> Always tried to make it right later, but sometimes you just run into things. That's the point is that in yourself, you can't always fulfill everything that you think that you can fulfill. Sometimes we take too big of a bite. We, 
we finance too much. We did this just, you know, we think we can do it. And, and then we come to the Lord with buyer's remorse. Can you say amen? I shouldn't have got that. I, I didn't need that. Oops, too late. So sometimes we suffer through that a little bit. But that's just the nature of humanity. We're not trying to do anything wrong. We just cannot fulfill oaths. But I want to tell you something. When God swears out an oath, it's not like a man swearing out an oath. God cannot lie. I kind of look at it this way. Somebody said that, that God said a certain thing and then he did something else. Well, God has the power to change everything. So when he says it, it may look like a lie, but God will change the world. He will change the universe to form into what he says in order that he does not lie because he cannot lie. What he says shall come to pass. Somebody say amen right there. What he said shall come to pass. There is zero chance that what God said will not come to pass. Zero chance. That's why God hates it when people say, Thus saith the Lord, and he did not say it. God hates that. Because it brings a slam on the gospel. It, it tends to taint the word of God. When you have men out there prophesying and saying, God said this and God said that. Now in the last two years, and you know this, You've been following some of this. But in the last two years, year and a half, two years, before elections of 2020, men started prophesying, men started foretelling, and many of those things that they foretold did not happen and will not happen. Oh, they're treading water and saying, you know, that the administration will be restored. And God, that's not what they said. They said Trump will be reelected and he will serve for four years. It didn't happen and it will not happen. It was not the Word of God, but it brings a slam on the Word of God because the world looks at that and says, what are these people doing? They're lying to each other. They're fooling each other. They're taking solace in a lie. God doesn't like His Word played with. His Word is yes and amen. And those that believe it, it is yes and amen. God's word should never be brought to question. God's word is truth. We stand upon the word of God. I don't know why you think you're here this morning, but you heard a word of God. That's why you're here. It's not because you dreamed a thing. It's not because you just thought it'd be nice to be a Christian, but you have heard a word of Christ, and faith has come from hearing a word of God. I believe the word about Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. <clears throat> That's why you are here this morning. Because you heard the word and you believe the word is true. Gainsaying mentions that. Men feel like that if they swear an oath, that's the end of gainsaying. You might ask, what is gainsaying? Well, it's a very simple description. It's gain by what you're saying. Gainsaying. God doesn't have gainsaying prophets. No, they don't belong to him. If I get up here to preach you a word that I'm going to gain by, then I have not preached the word of God. I preach a word that may feel good to you, and it certainly feels good to me. If I get up and lie to you and tell me that tell you that you give me forty three dollars according to to uh, Isaiah forty three that it's going to come back to you tenfold in all this business that they're doing, that's gainsaying. That is not the word of God. Don't fall into that. Don't give them money. They don't deserve it. They don't need it. God doesn't use his prophets to gainsay. It's the exact opposite of that. God's men are always, it seems like, on the hot spot because, or in the hot seat, because they will not gainsay. They always come with the word of God, which is true and right and holy and good. Can you say amen? 
And so if I get up as a preacher, as I get up as a prophet, as I get up as a man of God in any capacity to preach things that bring gain to me, I have not preached the word of God to you, but I have twisted and tainted the word of God, and God hates that. Because what he says is always right, it's always true, and it's always pure. I like this term in here, the unchangeableness of his counsel. The unchangeableness of his counsel. So we dig into that word a little bit, unchangeableness. It seems like that's pretty easy to understand. It is the Greek word, ametatheton. And that means not, the ah in front of that, the a, means not to change your position. God not only doesn't change his word, he doesn't change his position on his word. We'll get into terms when we begin to see God and the difference between us and God. And I'm going to tell you what, we are flesh. We are prone to metathetone. That means we are prone to change our positions. And I don't want anybody to get too sanctimonious here this morning because I know about every one of you that you've had positions and had to change them. And we've taken stances on things that we had to say later, wow, you know, I, I just really see that more clear now. Uh, let me give you just a little example, and I think I can throw myself in here, and everybody knows what's going on, so I'll throw myself in the mix. I'll throw Kay in the mix. She told somebody not too long ago, and you all are in the same mix. I will never leave California. Why would I leave California? Everything I have need is here. My kids are here. My job is here. My house is here. Everything's here. I'll never leave California. That's good. That's a great position to be in. But circumstances or dire circumstances will change the positions in our life. Does it make you a liar? Does it make you a bad person? There are things that change positions in our life. And sometimes those need to be changed in our life. See, we didn't see coming the mandates. We didn't see coming the losing of the jobs. We didn't see coming the shutting down of churches, which is going to come back again. We didn't see the demonically inspired, imposed school curriculum that is going to be levied on our children very soon. We didn't see the complete takeover of the California state government by left-wing liberals. See, we didn't see that when we were in the position of saying, I love California, I never plan on moving from this place. I never saw those things coming. But once they came, it changed my position. I'm sorry, this morning, I'm not God. I do have a changeableness of my position. And thank God that if we're pliable enough, God can lead us. Sometimes we get so set in what we are, God really can't break through that leather callus that we have and, and over, our, over our heart and mind. But, but God always wants us to be in the place where stand in a position you're at until God moves us in that position. Can you say amen? I love the United States of America. And our veterans, any of you that served in the armed services, we love, we all, we honor you. I've never put my life in harm's way and, and been exposed to possi possibly not even coming back. And so we honor all of those who have served and all of us. And I love America. And I love what we stand for. But should the United States of America get to the place that I cannot honor it anymore, I can't honor its, its, its systems anymore, then, then I don't feel like it's a traitor to say, no, I'm going to move to Greenland. Whatever they do, I don't know. I just took that. Because we stand in a position we're in. The position is we love this country. The position is we love our people, but we love it according to what we understand that this country is about.
And so we love this. I believe there are probably people in communist countries that love their country dearly, were patriotic, and then communism took it over, and they could clearly say that they still love the people, they still love the ground, but they certainly don't love what has taken over, and I think that's all going to happen to all of us. And so there comes a place that sometimes our position changes, but it doesn't mean that we have uh, lied to ourselves or lied to anyone else. All it means is that the position of where we're at has changed a little bit. I hope everybody understands that. Let me give you an example. Jesus said a man had two sons. And those two sons were needed to go out and work. Now, they weren't used to working. The one thing I can see about them is that they weren't up ready to go that morning. They weren't going to work. The sons, they were sitting around the house. I don't know if they were lazy boys. I don't know what the problem was, but said, I need you to go and work for me today. He came to the two sons. The one son took the position, I will go. That's the position he took. And he stood on that position. I will go. The other young man said, I will not go. Now, that's a pretty smart thing to say to your dad. And I can remember, you know, and, and some of you probably remember this. If my children had told me, I, I said, I need you to do this, I will not do it. I would have probably been like, well, you need to start looking for somewhere else to live. But this dad was patient. And later on that day, the first boy, his position, I will go, he changed that position to I will not go. The second boy who said, I will not go, changed his position to I will go. And he went and worked. Now, Jesus said, who did the father's will? It was the son that changed his position. So sometimes it's not wrong to change a position because we don't see clearly, we don't understand, we don't see all things around us, but God never changes his position because everything about him is righteous and holy and set in holy order. God never changes his position. Thank God that he never changed his position about what he declared, about his oaths, and about what he has said. For 6,000 years now, kingdoms have risen and fallen. World economies have both prospered and collapsed. Holy men have risen up. False prophets have risen up. Earthquakes, famine, and pestilence, and good times of peace and prosperity both have happened, but none of these things have changed the position of God on what he said and declared from the beginning of the thing. He said, I will do, and he has not changed that at all. Can the church say amen? <clears throat> Some of you might remember this. I was probably in my teens. David Wilkerson at that time had, had already established Teen Challenge and, and, and much of it across the nation. And now he started going out preaching to uh, uh, not just church congregations, but meetings of collective churches and pastors. He came to Reading. Is there anybody here that remembers that? That probably, I'm going to say almost 50 years ago that he came to Reddick, went to the Civic Auditorium, and we went to see him. And so we didn't get there early enough. We had to sit down on the bottom. I think they had a closed-circuit TV or something. And, and so we're watching him, and he's painting this picture. He said, this and that's going to happen. And, and uh, it took some time for, for the things that he said that God had revealed to him would happen. And, and I think there's, there's still some things happening that he talked about. And he was a good man of God. And he got into this thing so far, and, and he finally said, you know, because you almost get a feeling like of desperation, and, and, you know, this is really bad things, you know. But he said this, and it just everybody cheered because they're all down, they're hearing this, what's going to happen. And, and, and then he says, but I want you to know 
that no matter what happens, God has everything under control. And I want you to know this morning that whatever systems are out there and whatever things change and whatever positions are taken and changed, I want you to know this, that God has got everything under control. He has not changed his position on anything. It doesn't matter what governments are doing. God hasn't changed his position. And so I take solace this morning when God makes an oath, when God says a thing, it's going to happen. Brother, could you get me Isaiah, the 46th chapter, and the ninth verse? Isaiah 46, 9. No, he's working hard. He's going to get it here in a second. Are we there, brother? Give me some hope. <clears throat> Good time for me to cough and get a drink of water, which I left down there. Okay, there we go. Remember the former things of old. For I am God. Thank you, brother. For I am God. Hmm. And there is none else. I am God. And there is none like me. Can you go just to the next verse? I love this verse because this is just a great description of God. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand. And I will do all. My pleasure. That's an old, old verse, but that's relevant right now. That is relevant this morning because his will and purpose is not yet played out. It's not yet finished. It's yet to come. All of his pleasure, a lot of his pleasure has been done. We're at the end time now. We're starting to eclipse over to those things that are just ending, I believe, the work of man. But God is not done yet. His pleasure yet has to be through all things. And so I believe this verse this morning, I take and I love that it says his counsel, his counsel, his counsel in the New Testament is that bole. The bole is the resolved plan. And so we think of counsel, we think of people talking to each other and that kind of thing. No, this word is about a plan. It's about a purpose. It's about a concept. It's about a logos of God that he began in the beginning before there ever was a foundation of the world. God put his logos together, his plan, his purpose. And if we look at the word bole, we have to look at the New Testament word katabole, which is a, uh, a deposition of the founding of that position. He not only did he lay down his purpose, but he founded it. Cataboli, he laid it down and he made it to happen. His counsel, his plan, his purpose, his logos is not finished yet. And he will continue to do exactly what he has laid out. So are we surprising God by the end times? Boy, he never saw this coming. He never saw this stuff happening. Oh, boy, this is really surprising God. It's almost like we have to go in prayer to make him aware of what's happening around here, right? And from the beginning, he's laying back and saying, I'm calling from right now. I'm calling the end from the beginning. I know what's going to happen. I see the, the, the whole course of human history. But I want you to know this, that my counsel is the one thing that will stand when everything else fails, when systems fail, when kingdoms fail, when people fail, when churches fail, when preachers fail. God's counsel will stand and stand and stand. It shall not come down. It is the oath of God that will stand unchangeable. Unchangeable. So, well, I don't know what to put my faith in in life. It looks like the economy, you know, is going back and forth. 
it looks like that people that we trusted in go up and down. And I really just don't know where to put my faith. I'm going to tell you the only thing that will stand is the word of God in your life. Everything else is going to fall by the way. The word of God is that unchangeable in our life. So he says this. There are two unchangeable things. We read in the, in the text this morning. There's two unchangeable things. And again, that word unchangeable, it meant that God took a position on some things and they were set in place before the foundation of the world, before the laying down of any creation. I mean, Moses only takes us by the word of God. He saw backwards in God and he saw to the day that God started. He just didn't see beyond that day. But before that day, before Genesis 1-1, God had set his counsel in order. So We start with Genesis 1-1. God starts before Genesis 1-1. And set his determination, his counsel, in order. What it would be. What the earth would be. What humanity would be. And God set things in order. Now, that has not steered off course, not even the tiniest bit. There are still two unchangeable things that God said in order that we have in Scripture. There may be a lot of things that God said in order that we have, don't have uh, privy to that we don't understand. But there are two things at least. And let me tell you the first one. The first one is the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the earth, who came into the habitable earth. God made a plan to come and visit humanity before he ever created humanity. I know that kind of flies in the face of a lot of Baptist doctrine, and I don't want to talk down any Baptists here this morning, but the Jews were God's first plan, and that didn't work out, so he looked around heaven to find out who would go for a sacrifice, and, and he found Jesus. And, and uh, you know, I'm just saying, I don't buy into any of that, but I'm just saying. I don't see it that way at all. Because I'm looking before Genesis 1-1, and I'm seeing what God wanted to do through this work of mankind. He's going to come, and he's going to come in flesh, not just to be a God of humanity, but be the God who became also humanity like unto us. Can you say amen? What a wonderful God to plan such a thing. That was a secondary plan. Oh, my goodness, you don't see the Scripture properly. That was the first plan of God. Emmanuel, God with us to take on flesh and become one of us. And at the same time, he's God, but at the same time, he's one of us. What a wonderful God to set that in order. And now I don't care what kingdoms come and go. I don't care what failures. Adam can fail. God can destroy all humanity but Noah. But his plan will continue to go. And worlds can, can come up and conquerors can conquer. And they can take all the possessions of everything. But God's going to cut out a purpose and God is going to cut out a man named Abraham and God is going to cut out a people named Israel and God is going to give them a place and there will be a heritage from David and God will bring forth his seed out of David because that's what he planned to do in the beginning. You can't stop it. You can't alter it. You can't make it not happen. God swore it out. And when God swears it out, that is what is going to happen. Amen. 
Satan might have thought that he was in control of things. That he could make things happen. All right, Herod, go down and kill. But you're not going to kill God's plan. See, that's not going to happen. Before the devil can ever get there, God has already got him off to Egypt. And before, they try to stone him. They try to murder him. They try to throw him off the edge of the prefaces. But you're not going to be able to do that because that's not God's plan. God's plan is that he's going to a cross. You're not going to keep him from the cross. He's going to the cross. And you're not going to hold him in the grave. Put all your armies there. Put all your powers there. Satan, come on, bring it all. Jesus is going to rise from the dead because God planned it that way it will happen no matter what the enemy has contracted in his mind to do oh it's awesome the plan of God and it supersedes the plan of man can you say amen that's one thing that we know that God planned the lamb slain before the foundation of the world we know that already Peter talked about that the second thing is is that God decided through this thing to establish himself a kingdom. Now, I'm going to give him a little lead time right here. So, um, go to, to uh, Ephesians, the first chapter, and the fourth verse, and just get that ready. <coughs> Part of God, what God was intending to do through this whole thing is not bringing a substitutionary church because Abraham seed. No, 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 no. That's not it. He planned that the kingdom of God come to the earth. No wonder Jesus said, when you pray, pray thy kingdom come. If Jesus would tell him them to pray thy kingdom come, then the kingdom must not have been there yet. The second unchangeable thing that God had planned, and there's probably others, like I said, but these are evident in the scripture, was that God had a kingdom of people called a church. That God would formulate for him a people who would glorify his name. And so nothing could change his position on either becoming flesh or building himself a church. Nothing can change that position. It doesn't matter if people don't like church anymore. That's up to them. Jesus is building his church. It doesn't matter if governments don't like church, they don't fit into the mantra of everything that they're doing. It, that doesn't matter if society wants to kick God out of everything now. It doesn't matter because God is building a church. He swore out an oath and, and Paul says here, writing the text, he says, we are that. We are the heirs. We're the heirs. Somebody say heirs. We are heirs of what God took out in an oath in Abraham and saying, I will bring a seed, and that seed, it shall flourish in the earth. And, and we are the heirs of that. We have become inheritors of the oath that God swore to Abraham, and he has carried it out, and God has him self a church he has always had himself a church now it may go down a little it may be that people leave some places but God has always had him a glorious church can you say amen and look at this Ephesians 1 14 right Ephesians 1 4 I'm sorry Ephesians 1 4 and so as according he has chosen us in him when did he do that? Before Genesis 1-1. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. It didn't come to pass lately. It didn't just evolve. Somebody said, well, the church just evolved. No, the church didn't evolve. The church was planned. God's people were foremost in his oath that he's going to prepare something that is so mighty and great and wonderful to him to the praise of his glory. 
He says it this way. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I love that this morning, that we're not just an afterthought, friend. The church is not just a, well, other things didn't work out, so I guess we'll do a church. No, the church is a first order of what God did, what God prepared before the foundation, before he even began to say, let there be light, before he said, uh, that the Holy Spirit of God moved on the face of the deep and on the waters. Before that ever happened, God said, I swear I'm going to have me a church, a people who love me, a people who follow me, a kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness and peace. Oh man, that's exciting to me. Can you say amen? That's exciting to me. And I tell you again, I've changed some positions in my life. Some needed changing, others needed tweaking. I hope that, you know, I'm still going to take positions and try and hold to them. I know I will do that because it's who we are. But when, when God says a word, you don't ever have to worry about him changing a position. Whew. So what does that mean, Pastor? That means until the end. So... How many remember this summer that I, I preached what if? What if? How many remembers that? What if 6,000 years is the allotted time for man? Remember I preached that? And uh, somebody who's not here this morning was disturbed by that. I said, well, that kind, of, that kind of brings, that kind of makes, you know, that's scary. That, that sort of frightens people. It might frighten our children. Didn't preach it in the intent to frighten anybody, but it is in the intent that we know God's thing is going to supersede our thing. You see, what He's established is going to happen until the last trump of God. It's not over until He says it's over. And when he says it's over, you might as well quit treading water, quit trying to get things done, quit trying to reestablish things. When God says it's over, it's over, and so I'm looking for him. When he calls it his order, his timing, listen, he laid it down before Genesis 1-1, and so there is a spot, there is a time, there is a place where we will get, and God says, time shall be no more. But I want you to know this, out of the same book of Ephesians, I want also to know in the first chapter of Ephesians, it said that in time's coming, that he's going to show us the glory of himself, so it won't be over as far as being with him, it'll just be over here, but yet his oath goes on and on and on. We will see each other in glory. We will see each other in eternity because that's what God has determined and no man, no man, no devil, no administration is going to be able to put their hand on that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, I think we've said about enough. I was tired before I got up here this morning, and now I'm really tired. I guess I'm retired. Uh, since he had no one greater to swear by. He's not going to swear by the temple or the gold in the temple. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Since he's got no one greater to swear by. He swore by himself. I will do it. My word has gone out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. It shall accomplish what I sent it to do. That's the word of God. See, if God swore something by himself, then be 100% sure it's going to happen. It's going to come to pass. Jesus says this now, <coughs> entering in at the roughly the 4,000 year mark of man. Heaven and earth 
shall pass away. But my words will never pass away. Now I want to caution you right now, just in closing. I just want to caution you. Sometimes we get an interpretation of the scripture and we take a position. I was listening to, um, I don't know if I should say him, I just won't, but I think he does a lot of good. He has a big church in the L.A. area. He said, opened it up, that meeting, I don't know if it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, whatever it was, and, and I was listening to this on radio, for people to ask questions. And they began to ask, oh, most of them were theological questions. And, and it got down to some things that I had to say, man, I'm telling you what, I don't know who this guy thinks he is. But he's, he is, he's proclaiming his doctrine. If they don't believe his doctrines, that they can't be saved. But the thing is, what he thinks doesn't matter to me that much. It's what Jesus thinks is what matters to me. So I can take positions, and I pray that this man will, will, will recant some of those positions. I've had to recant a few things in my time of preaching that I thought a certain, certain way, and, and thank God that I don't have the unchangeableness of positions. <laughs> thank God that I had to change some positions. Does that make me an evil man? Well, it makes me a man that wants to get it right. Can you say amen? Have you ever done some things in your home? I've done with my kids, and, and, and there were times that Kay said, no, you, you, I, I think you need to, to think about what you're doing here, and I did. And at times, I, I changed the position a little bit because I needed to. I know other men who have raised their kids and said, by thunders, this is how it's going to be, ba 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 ba, and it didn't turn out well. They needed some of their position wasn't right. Well, I'm going to tell you something about the Lord. He said it, he declared it, and he's never changed it. All of these people that are wanting a new word, you know, in the valley up here, they're all going, you know, give me a new word. Give me, a new, give me some new stuff. It's because you don't want the position that Jesus has already taken. And you get some new stuff. It may not be the position of the Lord. So I'm going to hang on to this holy word of God. Can you say amen? Brother Aaron taught us Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night. Brother Aaron, my encouragement to you and to any of the other brethren, keep teaching this word. It doesn't matter where we go and what we do and where we're at. Teach this word. This word is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We build our life on the fact that God swore out an oath and he is going to do it. Amen. Can the church say amen? Can the church say amen? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Would you come and let's play something to end here this morning. And shall we just examine our hearts a little bit? Would you stand with me? And let's just examine.